All right. Good morning, family. I am excited about Easter on its way and, and uh, looking forward to that time when we, uh, we celebrate the resurrection. Of course, Sunday is, the reason we worship on Sunday as, you know, Christians is because it is a celebration of the resurrection. We, we gather together on Sunday on Resurrection Day, which was Sunday. So um, I'm excited about that. And as more and more people are uh, gathering in person, first service was just packed out. And uh, we're, we're excited about more people coming back. And so um, we're going to kind of make that a back-to-church-everybody service and try to make it as... Uh, you know, as, as uh, a, a time for us to really gather and worship the Lord and for those who are willing to come and enjoy. So I'm, we're starting a brand new service, uh, service. we're starting a, a brand new series, and um, it's, uh, I'm calling it Dispelling the Myths of, About Jesus. And the reason for that is every generation has to um, kind of deal with the issue of the real Jesus. And every generation, I think, seems to have, the, Jesus is always the center of religious, or, you know, beliefs and thoughts and all of that. And, um, and so, f- for instance, you can talk about God all day long, but if you talk about Jesus, you find that Jesus is a uniter and a divider. His name, you know, people will all of a sudden get all bent out of shape when you talk about Jesus. And the reason that is, is because Jesus, Jesus, who Jesus represents, what he did, what he calls us to, what Jesus said um, is and can be offensive. In fact, it is offensive, especially if you um, you know, listen to the demands of Christ and how to live. He says, he says, unless you, um, you know, leave mother and father and sister and brother and come follow me, you can't be my disciple. He said, he said a lot of things that um, challenge people. But it isn't, listen, it isn't the thing just that he says, it's who he is. Who he is really gives credence to what he says. And so every generation has to deal with those who want to limit who Jesus is. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to talk about who Jesus is. Hosea Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And there is a move today, just as every generation has these, kind of the progressive Christian liberal concept that gets away from God's word and starts to redefine Jesus in and, and, you know, kind of their imaginary view of who Jesus is and their imaginary view of God. And there's a myth that comes out of it. You know, there's, there's the myth about Jesus. And uh, my generation, this generation now uh, also has to deal with it and, uh, and walk through it. And Christians have to, to know. And so often Christians come, people come to Christ, as I did. And I, I you know, I believed in Jesus but I didn't know much about Jesus. I mean, when I came to Jesus, I believed that he had died for me and was buried and conquered death, and I accepted him as my Savior. And, uh, you know, I, I saw him as a, you know, loving God. But I didn't really know what that meant. I didn't know all the, you know, I had very limited understanding of who Jesus was. So it would have been easy for me to have been deceived by someone who had a little bit more knowledge and started to tell me about Jesus in a way that wasn't true according to the scriptures because I didn't know the scriptures well enough to have defended the real Jesus. And uh, I'm grateful for God's Holy Spirit who helped me. And I was, in fact, you know, I, when I came to Christ, I, um, it didn't take me long. I became um, obsessed with God's word. I mean, just, I couldn't believe God wrote a book. And so I just, you know, just went way into it and I was studying it you know 10 12 hours a day and uh, even though when I was in school I never read a book I faked my way through but when I got a hold of the Bible something changed in me it was the Holy Spirit but I um I want to talk to us today 
about an element of who Jesus is. In fact, it's crucial. And it's really the first thing that we should it's in, in building a foundation for who Christ is. And, uh, and so I want you to go, and there's two portions. If you have your Bible, um, turn to Daniel chapter 9 and put a marker there. We're going to get there. And then go to Matthew chapter 16. And we're going to take up this portion in Matthew 16. I have taught on this several times, so some of you will have remembered somewhat of this. But what I want to do is not do a detailed study in in Matthew 16 in this portion. I just want to bring out the things that really relate to what we're talking about, Um, you know, kind of uh, make that the, the direction as we're going through and looking at Jesus and this element of Jesus that is critical for our understanding. Um, it starts in, in verse 3, um, and kind of the understanding is this. Jesus had been with the disciples at the Sea of Galilee, and there had been crowds of people coming and, and, uh, to him, and, and uh, he was ministering and all this teaching. And then he took his disciples on a 17-mile trek, and they went up to Caesarea Philippi. And that was a specific plan of Jesus. He went there to teach them a specific teaching. And this is the portion, this is where he is. And so the scripture says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? Now I'm going to tell you why he went there in a couple minutes and what, how it relates. But he g- gets there in the Caesarea Philippi, and, uh, and he, 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 he asks this very specific and important question. Who do people say that I am? And there's all kinds of different views, and I don't think we get the whole gamut of it, but some say uh, John the Baptist. And we actually know that Herod probably started that because he felt guilty for killing John the Baptist. And so uh, he puts it out, and, and, and there's people saying that Jesus is actually like the reincarnation of John the Baptist. He, Herod wasn't real familiar with the scriptures this way, right? So his view of life after death was not a biblical view. But he, he was thinking that he, he didn't know that John and Jesus knew each other. So um, however that would work out, even in, in uh, the concept of reincarnation. But he says, he, some say you're John the Baptist. Some... Elijah, because there was a prophecy that Elijah will come before Christ. And the book of Revelation gives us insight to that too. And then it says, others, Jeremiah and one of the prophets. So, you know, we've got all kinds of, a, a gamut of ideas of who Jesus is. And that's not different than today. If you ask people who Jesus is, just on the streets, you'll get, a gap, you'll, get, you'll get different answers. Some will say, well, he was a good man, he was a good teacher, meaning that he's kind of like other good teachers. Some will say he's a prophet, that he's, you know, uh, some will, you know, say he's God or a God, or some will say he is the one, one of the emulations of God, the, the Christ, he has a Christ spirit. Um, and, uh, and that's a whole element of our teaching today was, and, and, and they'll just have different views of Jesus. And that has always been the case throughout history. There's always these different views of Jesus, but there is one biblical view. The problem is that if you have a Jesus, even if you say, I'm a Christian, but you're but you have a Jesus that's different than the Jesus of the Bible, then you're following a false Jesus. You're following the wrong Jesus. A name does not, does not definitely identify a person. Right? I mean, I'm Rick, but are there any other Ricks in this room? Yeah, there we go. So you, you can... You can you, you, uh, a name does not identify a person. A person, ha- you know, we can, when we start to identify someone and say, Rick, we would have to start making distinguishing things, like the, the handsome one and, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm kidding. 
But, you know, we, we, we would have to do that. That's how we would have to operate. And, you know, kind of deep, if there's a lot of them. Jesus was a very common name in his day. But even in our day, the idea of Jesus, it comes in so many different forms. But there is a real Jesus. And he's the one that's described in the scriptures. He's the one that brings salvation. He's the only Jesus that there really is who um, God, in fact, had ordained. And so he says, who do you, he, he said to them, who do, you th- who do they say that, that I am? And then he asked the most important question that is ever asked. There's no question more important for you than this question. But who do you say that I am? And that's the question each of us have to answer. Who is Jesus? Your answer to that is critical. It's crucial in understanding, if you're going to understand who Jesus is, you, sh- you have to be right in this one. Now, you might not have all the doctrines and all the teachings called, you know, Christology, you know, the theological term. You might not have all the details. But what you do know needs to be true about who Jesus is. And so, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, is what Peter said. You are the, what? Say that. Christ. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Simon, you didn't get this on your own. This is not something you just kind of analyzed and figured out. This happened because there was a revelation. God revealed this to you. This is revelatory to you to understand who I am. And who is he? He's the Christ, the son of the living God. And and Jesus says, I say to you, Peter... That's Petra. Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. There are two critical, two things I want to share with you on this. First, he says, this is a revelation. What's a revelation? Is that Jesus is the Christ. What, what is the Christ? See, some people think Christ is just Jesus' last name. You know, you have Jesus Christ. It's not his last name. It's his designation. It's who he is. It's his, it, it is the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament. And throughout the Bible, from the very beginning, in fact, all the way back to the book of Genesis, chapter 3, Adam and Eve are promised that a Messiah is coming. That, it, that term isn't used, but that's exactly what's happening. Adam and Eve have been promised that there is one who's going to crush the head of the serpent, and he's coming in the future. And from that point on, all the way through the Old Testament, there is this theme that is constantly there, um, both in direct prophecy that says the Messiah is coming, and in inference in other, in, and in types and shadows throughout the Old Testament. The center, the focus of the entire Old Testament is the Messiah who is to come. And what he will do. And the accomplishments he would make. And so when Peter said, you are the Christ, he knew exactly what saying he was a Christ is. Because the word Christ is Christos. It's found, it's the Greek word that means anointed or anointing. And it's found like 580-something times in the New Testament. Um, But the same word is translated into another translation in the Old Testament. With Mishiach, which means that he, it's a word we translate Messiah. Messiah. See, so Christos is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. Jesus is, when, he, when we call him Jesus the Christ, we're saying Jesus the Messiah. They knew that. They understood that. 
because um, most of them spoke Hebrew, you know, the disciples spoke Hebrew and Greek. And so here they, he is saying, you are the Messiah, the one we've been looking for, the one that we have been hoping for all this time that would come because they knew what the Messiah, what that meant, who would come and what he would do. They had some, they had some um, misunderstanding, a slight misunderstanding of some of the things that Jesus would do because they didn't understand the first and second coming of Christ. They, they didn't distinguish between the Christ who would come and suffer and what he would do then in return. They didn't, they didn't get that. Even though the scriptures does give us indication of that, um, they missed it. And so he says, um, blessed are you, Simon Barjon, because flesh and blood, he, he says, didn't reveal this. He says, and I also say to you that that you are Peter. Now, the word Peter in the Greek is the Petra. It's a small rock. And he says, I will, uh, on this rock. Now, the Catholic Church has taken that. The early Roman Church, um, there, was a, there was a bishop of the Roman Church who really kind of thought that, that Rome, the Roman Church should be the center of Christianity. And, uh, you know, at that time, you know, the early church, it was uh, the church in Antioch. Of course, Jerusalem was a, the foundation point. And thought that Rome ought to be the center point for that. And, and they started making an argument that, that Peter was, in fact, there in Rome. And that's debatable. But they said he was in Rome. Um, and he had started the church. And he would become the, and he was the first pope. And that the church is founded on that. That Peter was the rock that Jesus was talking about. Jesus was not talking about Peter being the rock. He was talking about himself being the rock. Because the statement was, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. Upon this, I am going to build my church. And whose church is it? It isn't Peter's church. It's Jesus' church. You understand? And Peter was an amazing and wonderful disciple. But he was not the Pope. He never even, he never said he was a Pope. No one in the New Testament, none of the disciples called him Pope. They didn't even put him at first. In fact, he wasn't even the head guy. James was at first. Until James got beheaded, the number one guy, when all the disciples got together, the guy that everybody looked to was James. It wasn't Peter. And then Peter, even himself, was confronted by Paul the Apostle when he was out of whack. He, he kind of was, was uh, compromising somewhat in the way he was treating the Gentiles and the, and the Jewish Christians. And Paul met with and Paul confronted him. He was never considered the Pope or a leader like that. Jesus is always the, he's the foundation. He's the rock that we build. It's Jesus, Jesus is the rock. He's the foundation. It's what Hebrew says, he is the rock. And, and so, the rock Christ Jesus is the foundation. And that upon, upon this, he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, what's interesting is, I told you, they took a 17-mile walk. And where, where, where they went is Caesarea Philippi. When we go to Israel, uh, we always go to Caesarea Philippi. We always go to this place. It's, it's actually, uh, you can see... Uh, the mountaintop filled with snow and that water comes down and the way it operates there's a cave there and water goes through and and it had broken through many centuries ago it had broken through um the rock the lime limestone there and water bubbles up out of that. In fact, it bubbles over when the, when the snow is melting fast. And it becomes the water that goes down into the Sea of Galilee and then, then, um, then through the Jordan River and so forth. So it waters, it's, it's kind of the starting point for that. And when you get there, what you see is you see this cave. And around it was all these cut-ins. What's missing, what was there... In Jesus' time, was all these little gods 
that they would carve and put into the stone around. The, the cave itself and the, the starting place of that is called, it was uh, 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 given to um, the, the god Pan. And so they worship the god Pan right there and, and these other gods. And what it would happen is each year, that uh, the people would gather for worship. They would take a goat and they would sacrifice a goat and they would throw it into the water. And when they hit the water, if it sunk, then they, they, they received that, that the God, God had accepted their sacrifice. If it floated, that means the sacrifice was not accepted and they would have to sacrifice a child. And so they would take and then sacrifice a child and throw it into the water. This place, by the way, was called the gates of hell. So when Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What Jesus had done, he had taken them there and said, listen, this is the foundation. The foundation is on me. I'm, it is my church. I'm going to build my church. Good, bad, and different, all the things that kind of are accused about the church, it's Jesus' church. And Jesus said that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, the thing about gates, and this is oftentimes people read that and say, well, when the, that means when the, the enemies of hell, you know, and all the, the imps of hell and all the attack of hell cannot prevail against the church. Like we're hiding, kind of hiding back in, in a defensive mode. I've never seen people go to war with gates. Have you? Anybody? You know, you take a gate. I mean, I'm, I'm going to lift up a gate and I'm coming after you. No, gates are defensive things. What he's saying is that hell has its defenses up, its gate. See, it's in the defensive mode. The church is to be in the offensive mode. The church is supposed to be attacking the gates of hell. The church is supposed to be pushing back hell. The church is supposed to be on the offense. And he says this, that the gates of hell cannot prevail. They're going to be broken through. They're going to be broken down. And when the church, I think, when the church really learns who it is and what, what God has done and what God wants to do through the church, when we actually, you know, actually start to recognize what it means to be a true follower of Jesus with all the power that we have by the power of the Holy Spirit, that the gates of hell are going to be pushed down, going to be destroyed. And that's what God wants to do. So, so he says... He says to them, uh, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. This is a whole nother teaching. I, I don't want to go into it, just it be, take our whole time, but whatever you loose on earth, we loose in heaven. And we actually do this in our deeper course. We go through a lot more detail on this, but he said, and he commanded the disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus a Christ. Is that what it says? No, it doesn't. What does it say? They're Christ. Because when you believe in the inerrant, inspired word of God, you look at everything. He's not a Christ. He's the Christ. Very important. And he said, don't tell anybody why. Because it wasn't time yet. See, it wasn't time yet. There's going to be a time. See, it is this statement that Jesus is the Christ that got him killed. When he stood before the high priest and he asked him if he was, in fact, the Christ, the Son of God, and Jesus' response was yes, that's when the high priest yelled out, blasphemy, he must die. It's when Jesus said he was the Christ, the Son of God. They knew what that meant. And it was enough. Now, in John chapter 1 and verse 41, it says this. He first found his own brother. This is right at the beginning when Jesus started to 
to introduce himself, people, and Andrew came along, and he saw Andrew, and he knew who he was, and then Andrew, it says, he went to find, find found his brother Simon, that's Peter, and said to him, we have found Messiah, and then John adds this, which is translated the Christ. He says, we have found Messiah, which is translated the Christ. In John 20, verse 30, it says, And they truly, Jesus, did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in the book. But these are written that you may believe. This is what John says. This is why I wrote the book. Okay, and all these signs. This is why I wrote the book. That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. See, it wasn't just believe in Jesus. He said that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah. That's why I wrote all these things. These testimonies, these miracles, and all these things that are written in the book of John just are further proof that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Now, folks, I could go through, and we would, if we wanted to do a full teaching on Jesus as the Christ Messiah, it would take us a long time. It would, you know, we would spend the day and probably the next couple of days going through everything about Jesus as the Christ. But I want to show you a couple of things. I want to show you one thing specifically that completely ends the argument. And I say ends the argument about him being the Christ and the Son of God. And, and, and you might not know that there's an argument because it's not, you know, it's not an argument that's around most, you know, Christian circles. But it is one that is growing and developing among the progressive Christian or liberal Christian view that has really kind of gotten away from God's word. And there is this view, in fact... Um, some who have gotten, gotten, gone astray have followed, um, for instance, um, Richard Rowe, who's a, who is a, um, he's a, um, a Catholic uh, priest who for 50 years has written books and touted things that, that has deceived people, I think people who are not convinced that the Bible is God's word, which by the way, the week after Easter, I'm going to do a two-part series, Why You Can Trust the Bible. And we're going to go into things that I think when you're done, there's no question. There, there, there won't be no question that you can trust the Bible as God's word. But um, we'll get there. But the point is that there are those who say that, that the Christ spirit, you'll hear this. If you hear this, you, you, know, you need to know where they're coming from. And they believe that there's like this Christ spirit. It's a new age thing. It's actually Hindu. And, it, and it's this idea that there's a, you know, that a person kind of has the spirit at times. And there's a separation between the Christ spirit and the person. And that you can have the Christ spirit and that others can have the Christ spirit, and others have. There have been great prophets or what have you throughout history that had the Christ spirit, and Jesus only had, he had the Christ spirit. And, and it's separate from Jesus. In fact, some of these say that when Jesus died on the cross, the Christ spirit wasn't with him at that point. The Christ spirit had left and Jesus died on the cross. And there's these ideas that are, well, they're crazy. If you know God's word, you go, where did that all come from? So, um, I want to end it. I want to end the idea of anybody that would believe that. It's, um, it's a ridiculous concept. Jesus is the Christ, meaning he is the only Christ. He is the Messiah. And, and I'm going to take you to Daniel chapter 9. And I want to, um, I've done this portion when I've done uh, prophecy uh, conferences and so forth. But, um, so I'm not going to go into all the prophetic angles of it, but I'm going to show you some. And, uh, and in this portion of scripture, um, the Messiah is revealed 
And not only is he revealed, but we'll know specifics about the Messiah that eliminates anyone else being the Christ, the Messiah. And it's in chapter 9, verse 24 is where we start. And it says this. Well, let me give you the background. Background is Daniel, the writer here, is um, he's going to have a vision. And what, what had happened is Daniel was taken into captivity with, um, you know, others from, from Israel, from Jerusalem. They, they were taken in captivity by the Babylonian Empire. They destroyed the city. They destroyed the temple. And he's been a, a slave in Israel. I mean, very high ranking. I mean, he's done, done some amazing things and God has blessed him. But he's there and he's reading another book of the Bible. He's reading the book, the, the prophet Jeremiah. And as he's reading Jeremiah, he sees a prophecy that says that God is going to take the, Babylon, uh, take the um, Israelites into captivity for 70 years, and then he's going to remove them. And so he's reading, and he goes, we're, well, we're, we're right there at almost 70 years, okay? He was young. He was a young man when he came, and now he's probably in his 90s, and he's going, this is it. This is the time. And so he's praying, and God gives him a vision. And, and, in case you, and by the way, the Bible is filled with prophecy. I'm going to talk about it's filled with prophecy. Uh, up to a third of the Bible is actually prophecy, most of which has already come true. So as he's reading Jeremiah, it's just, and now it's going to be fulfilled. So now he goes and goes to God, and God gives him a vision. And this is, and as the vision's coming, he tells us what God is saying. He says, 70 weeks are determined for your people and your holy city to, to and, and listen to what it says, to finish transgression. That's a transgression of, of the people of Israel. To make an end of sins. That's kind of a big deal, don't you think? Sin is ending. Um, to make reconciliation for iniquity. And to bring an everlasting righteousness. And to seal up vision and prophecy. Wow. That takes us all the way to the end. And prophecy is all fulfilled. All the prophecies fulfilled. And to anoint the most holy. In regarding. So. Now, all this is promised, and I want you to notice it says 70 weeks. In other words, there's a time frame here. Now, this is where people, when you come to this text, get confused. And there are certain portions of Scripture that require you to take the time and study it. There, you know, on the surface is all the things that you have to have. Of salvation. It's very easy. You can read about salvation, how it comes through Jesus Christ alone, the shed blood, the sacrifice he made, the gospel of Jesus Christ is very clear and how you get saved and all that. But there are other parts of scripture that if all you want is surface stuff, you'll never get that stuff. You know, Jesus, the Bible says, you will seek, if you seek me, you'll find me if you search for me with all of your heart. And so only those who are willing to take advantage of and learn. And it doesn't mean you have to be self-learning. It just means you have to pursue it, you know. I mean, coming to church is a way of getting some of that too. But, but, this, the, but he says there's a time period, and this is where people get confused. He says 70 weeks. And what is 70 weeks? Well, in our vernacular, that would be 490 days, Right? 490 days, 70 weeks, you, you multiply seven, 70 times 7. But the word weeks in the Hebrew doesn't mean what it means in English. In English, it just means seven days. A week is seven days, right? In the Hebrew, it just means seven of whatever. It could be seven hours, seven minutes, seven years. And in this case, it means years. It's not seven days, it's seven years. So 70, seven year periods is 490 years. So there's going to be a 490 year period. But he says it that way. Instead of saying 490 years, 
He says it that way because those sevens are broken down. And, and, and there's meaning or things happen in segments of that seven. For instance, the last seven, the final seven before all those things we just read about is going to happen completely is what we would refer to as the, 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 the tribulation period. It's a last seven-year period where God is dealing with Israel in a specific way. And, and there is, um, in fact, judgment and the calling of Israel to repentance and, and full repentance where they discover the, our Savior. Now, let's look at it now. Let, let's keep going. And let me explain as we go along. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem. Now, stop there. There is going to be a command by someone. We don't know who right yet. Someone is going to make a command to restore Israel, restore Jerusalem, restore the, the, the temple and so forth, to restore the city of Jerusalem. Because it's been destroyed. When 70 years ago, before, when Daniel was captured, they destroyed the city and destroyed the temple. Now he says, someone is going to make a decree. Someone is going to make a command. Obviously, it's got to be somebody with power. Somebody with some kind of authority is going to make a command. And he says, from the time of this command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince. There shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. If you don't have your calculator, let me just tell you, that's 483 years. Seven weeks and 62 weeks is all but, seven, all but the last seven. And so he says... From this time when it's com the command comes out until Messiah comes, Messiah is going to be 483 years. The street shall be built again and the wall. They're going to build the wall again. They're going to build the streets of the city. Even in troublesome times. He says, okay. So, maybe if we could figure out who makes the command and when he makes the command, we could count 483 years and we would know when the Messiah is going to be around. Wouldn't that be cool? We just have to know when. It just so happens that it's in the Bible. And it hadn't been written yet when Daniel was there. It was written by, it, it was written by Nehemiah, who was a cupbearer of, of, of King Artaxerxes, a historical figure. I mean, you've even seen, some of you seen the movie 300. He's a real dude. I mean, he didn't look like, I don't think he looked like that guy. But, but he... Um, he, the, he, he, King Artaxerxes got, got um, kind of touched by Nehemiah's sadness about the city of Jerusalem being in ruins, and he made a command. And we know exactly when he made that command, exactly from the scriptures. Because it says it was in his 20th year. We know by his, history when he started. And we know because of that, because of that historical event of his, the, the start, we also know that 20 years in, we know the date by which that happened. So we know that Artaxerxes actually made that command on March 14th, 455 BC. That's when he made the command. Now we can count 483 years. But here's another caveat I just want not to confuse you. In fact, if you just want to wait until I tell you the answer at the end, you can just do that and not even try to do this calculation and confuse you. The, you know, the math people all got, they're ready to go. The, the years that Daniel was talking about or God was talking about to Daniel is not the same length as the years that we live in now. 
We have a 365-day year, right, with the leap year. They had a 360-day year. So when you do your calculations, you actually have to add each year is 360 instead of that extra five days. So the number comes to, if you don't have your calculator, to 173,880 days. Exactly. From the time Artaxerxes made the command in 445, we could count 173,880 days. Now, you know what, you know what day that comes to? Do you want to know? Yeah, it comes to April 6th, 32 A.D. That's kind of the time Jesus, that is the week Jesus declared himself as king and came riding on a donkey on Palm Sunday and would go to the cross a few days later for this and for the sins of the world. I want you to, to read what it goes on to say. It goes on to say in verse 26, and after the 62 weeks, remember there was seven weeks and then 62 weeks. After the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be what? Are you reading it? Cut off. That means die. Messiah's going to die. He's going to die. And, but, wait a second, but, now listen, remember, we... We read these things, and if you've read them before and you've got it, you just kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. This is nearly 500 years in advance. He's telling us detail about the Messiah. And he says, Messiah will be cut off, but for who? Not for himself. Who's he cut off for? Why don't you turn to the person near you and go, it was for you. It was for you. That's who it was for. Messiah would be cut off, not for himself. He, he was cut off for you. And then, it, then, he, then he says, you have to listen clearly on the words. The people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now, he didn't say the prince. He said the people of the prince who is to come. And you do this study, it's not... I've done it in, in, the, in, our, in our seminars before. And when we, we go into our, our Bible prophecy, we're going to do some of this. You'll find out who the people are. The people, the prince who are to come. They will come back. I mean, those, that, that, that group of people is already antagonizing the Jews already. He says, but the people, the prince to come, it's the people, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now, this is prophecy 500 years advanced. It says the Messiah will be cut off. What happened? Jesus died probably 32, 33 A.D. Okay, he died. We, I, I think you can actually narrow it down to 32 A.D. But I don't, there's, you know, there could be um, some um, time difference in that. S small. Oh, by the way, who do you know who is claiming to be Messiah and people thought he was a Messiah around 32 AD? Anybody? Have any ideas? Maybe Buddha or Muhammad or any of those guys? No, folks, there's only one. There could only be one person who is the Messiah. And he had to have come at that time. And so he, it says, he'll be caught up but not for himself. And the people, the prince who had to come, shall destroy the city. When did that, did that happen? Yes, it did. In 70 AD when Titus came in and they destroyed the city. The city was destroyed just like the Bible prophesied it would happen. Messiah was cut off. The city shall be destroyed, and, it, and, and of it shall be with a flood. There was a flood of, not water, but a flood of people. And till the end of the war, desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week in the middle of the week. 
he shall bring an end to, to sacrifice and offering. Now, by the way, when Titus came in and destroyed the city, he cut off sacrifice and offering. And, and there's no sacrifice. You, you, you go to Israel right now, there's no temple, there's no sacrifice, there hasn't been for 2,000 years. Why? Because Jesus is our sacrifice. But the Bible says at the end times, that Israel will rebuild their temple. They're working on it right now. They're going to be, rebuild their temple. They're going to have sacrifice. And then the Antichrist will come. Now, what happens here is there's a gap of time. He says he shall bring in, it says, um, that then, see, um, the, till the end of the war, desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant. Who is? The Antichrist. He's going to confirm a covenant. Jesus talked about this himself. For many, for one week, what is that? Seven years. He's going to confirm a covenant for the, se the last seven-year period now in this gap. And in the middle of the week, three and a half years, he shall bring an end of sacrifice and offering. So he's going to do the same thing. Titus did it by destroying the temple. He is going to command that it doesn't happen anymore. He's going to stop it. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes it desolate. Even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So what happens is the, the end of time, all of those things that we talked about at the beginning come to fruition at the end of the last seven-year seven period and Jesus, the Messiah, who died and rose again, is coming back. All this in this text. But the clarity of this text, there's others. I mean, the Bible is very clear. It talks about Jesus. It talks about the Messiah, who he would be, where he would be born in Bethlehem. It talks about him being in Nazareth, you know. And nothing good comes out of Nazareth, but Jesus does come out of Nazareth. Which, by the way, is very interesting because... Nazareth, for many centuries, Bible critics said, see, the Bible isn't true because there's no place called Nazareth. They, they actually said, I mean, you, can, you could read old uh, critics about the Bible will you say, well, there's no place in Nazareth. And the Bible says that Jesus came out of Nazareth until they found, the archaeologists found Nazareth. Then they have to scratch that out of their book point being, you can count on the scriptures, and you can count on who Jesus is. And one of the false prophets today has said that Jesus must decrease because, well, because Christ must increase. You see? And I'm reminded, and this is my last verse, chapter 2, verse 9, Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. What is that? At the name of Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Those in hell and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Someday, every knee will bow. I choose to do that way before then. I choose to do that not because I'm, I have to, but because I willfully want to say to Jesus, you are my Lord and you are my Savior. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. You have paid the price for my soul and my sins. And I choose to follow you. And if you're here today and you are, are watching online and you've not given your life to Jesus, he is the Christ. And you've heard it. You've heard. You've seen what the scripture says about him. And you know that it can't be an accident. Daniel didn't one day just decide. I'm, I think I'm going to write about what's going to happen 500 years from now. See, uh, see, you know, 
just because I have nothing else to do. And with detail talks about the Messiah who would come. That was ordained by God. Only God can do that. He lives out time, outside of time and space. And I want to say to you, if you've not invited Christ into your life to be your Savior, if you've not put your faith in him, don't wait. Don't wait. If, if you're hearing it now and your faith is there now, this is the time to respond. God's given you an opportunity. And all you need to do is respond in faith. And uh, I'm going to ask that we bow our heads in prayer. If you close your eyes just for a second, just for privacy um, for the, this moment. Look, any, anyone here in this room or out, or out watching, if you would like to invite Christ into your life, you'd say, yes, I, I want to believe in Christ. I want Jesus to come into my life. Would you be willing to lift your head up and let your eyes meet mine in, in doing that? Okay. God bless you. Okay. Others? Okay. Okay. Anybody else? Well, we'll join in, and those of you online, I, if you'll pray as well. This is what I want you to do. Um, just before we start our prayer, I want you, I'm not going to embarrass you, but I just want you to elbow somebody nearby. Could you just kind of, I'm, I'm saying yes to Jesus. Let them know. And then let's just pray this prayer out loud, everybody. Can we all join in? But those of you who are saying yes to Jesus, I want you to know you're specifically on his radar. He's watching now because he's been waiting for you. But he's going to respond. Say this to God. Dear God, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died for my sins, was buried, and conquered death. And Jesus, I receive you as my Savior. I ask you into my life. I ask you to cleanse my soul. And listen, I just want to say this while you're praying that, cleanse my soul. I want you to know that he, the blood of Jesus is enough to cleanse your soul. I don't know if there's something plaguing you about your past or not. I can tell you this. Jesus wants to just wipe it clean from your slate. He is the savior of your soul. And right now, as you're asking him, it's being cleansed right now. He, he doesn't see you as sin anymore. He sees that this is wiped away from your past, wiped away from your life. And he wants to give you power to walk with him and enjoy his presence in life. And so I fin want to finish this prayer by saying, Jesus, Jesus, you are my Savior. And I choose to follow you from now on. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now I'm going to ask you whether you're, yeah, you can, you can do that. I, 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 I want to ask you whether you're here or outside you know, I mean, if you're watching online, would you go on our website, ccanaheim.com, and I, I want to ask you just to let us know. There's a place there that you can fill out the connection card and just say, I received Christ. We want to send you information that will help you walk and grow in the Lord, and I want to encourage you. We're doing a whole new video series, uh, Foundations. We want to connect, give you the connections for that so that you could watch it on your free time as well to grow in that, and that'll be for anybody who's come to Christ recently or, or just wants a refresher course. We're going to do that, okay? Um, I'm over time. Um, that's very unusual, isn't it? Um, I'm over time, and I apologize for that, but... Um, the, um, but so if you need to go, I want to, you know, just say to you, I mean, you might have scheduled things and time-wise it's kind of past what you're expecting. I want to free you to go, just go ahead and do that. But for the rest of you that would want to stay for communion, we have communion always on the first Sunday of the month and this is that time. So the ushers are ready to hand it out. And if, you're remain, if you remain where you are, they'll make sure you get it and we're going to, uh, we're going to celebrate communion together, okay? And uh, so let's worship. <clears throat>
Jesus was betrayed, he took the unleavened bread on that Passover meal. He took the unleavened bread from the unity and he, op- and he t- took it and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. See, that bread represented his body and he broke it because his body, though not one bone would be broken, his flesh would be torn for you and me. And and, and procure for us a resurrection that is not just soul, but it's body, soul, and spirit. So as we take it, be grateful for the sacrifice that Jesus made. We do that by faith. And then he took the cup and he said, this is a cup of the new covenant of my blood. As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you show the Lord's death until he comes. Represents the blood of Jesus Christ that paved the way for us to have a new covenant with God built on better promises, built on the power of complete and total forgiveness through the blood of Jesus received.
You guys have a wonderful week. The blood of Jesus washes me. Victory.